All right. So, uh, to start us off today, I prepared a, a bit of amusement, a game, if you will. And so I'm going to ask for several different parts of speech. Okay. And it's a Mad Libs. Okay. Go with the first suggestion that people give, or we can go in order. I don't know. So first I'm going to need a noun. Uh, okay. Uh, like, a, like a proper noun or like a, just a regular noun? Just, like... just, just a regular noun. Um, plant is my noun. Plant? I like it. Yeah. All right, Charlie, you give me an adjective. Rambunctious. <laughs> okay. Uh, another noun from Reed. I'm just trying to look around my house to, like, find something. Birdcage. All right, Charlie, another noun. Cookies. I'm just going to do a singular, because I think these are yeah. all singular now. Cookies, fine. Okay. Uh, adjective. Effervescent. <laughs> all right, another adjective. Cold. All right. A verb. Um, hydroplaning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Another adjective. Oh, this is chock full of adjectives. I'm going with the first thing on top of my head. Crunchy. <laughs> okay. All right. And then a verb from both of you. Oscillate. Mm, verbs are hard. Why are verbs so hard? Whenever you ask me for a verb, I forget exactly what a verb is, which is unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, examples it gives are run, jump, swim, which are very boring. Yeah. Um, let's do... <sighs> Oscillate was so good. I'm trying to match it. <laughs> This is going to be ridiculous no matter what, so. Um, wow. You have, like, a Shatterstar verb? I'm trying to think about a Shatterstar verb. Um, what is a Shatterstar verb? I mean, just anything that Can could describe. Cancel? Can you know what? I like it. Let's, let's go with cancel. <laughs> All right. And then to finish this off, I need a name. Read. Uh, hold on. Let me look at Can we put just Bruce Springsteen? Okay, I was going to say, ideally, a name of an X-Man, but we can no, just put Bruce, Bruce Springsteen. Springsteen, Bruce Springsteen. Okay. All right, let's generate this. Let me take a <laughs> screenshot just in case something happens in the uploading of this Mad Lib. All right, so this, this is going to be, to summarize what our, our lead up last week, we're, we're doing this Clinton Choir before Schism. <laughs> Choir returns in the X-Men arc schism after being secretly broken out of the X-Men's prison by Cade Kilgore, the new black king of the plant club. Thinking his rambunctious unit just malfunctioned, Choir decides to celebrate his newfound birdcage by infiltrating an international cookie conference in Switzerland, where Scott Summers was to be giving a talk and forcing the leaders of the world to reveal their deepest most effervescent secrets on camera. <laughs> After this stunt, he becomes the most cold mutant on Earth and hydroplanes <laughs> refuge on Utopia. Feeling that jail would only make Quentin's crunchy tendencies worse, Wolverine oscillates a deal with Captain America. 
Quire is released into Wolverine's custody in an effort to cancel him. Nobody consulted Bruce Springsteen on this. So there you have it, folks. That's that's where Quentin Quire, how Quentin Quire got from Schism to Wolverine and the X-Men. I mean, they didn't. They didn't. And he's the boss. And no. <laughs> I my eyes. Oh, Jesus. It's my favorite X-Men. Yeah, mine too, actually. Okay, what would Bruce's power be? He's the so boss. Just the power. I don't know how to He's the boss. Okay, valid. I mean, that's it's exactly the same. Like everything else, was like, born to run. He was born to run. Oh my god! <laughs> I joked about a Mad Lib months and months and months ago, and never got around to it. And then reading through the Wikipedia article for this, I'm like, this sounds like a fucking X Men Mad Lib. You're not wrong. So I had to, Bruce of course, Springsteen's make one. mutant name just the boss? Yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. Okay. Like Alex in our masks game is the sapper. Okay. That's true. That's true. Mita, you all right? No. <laughs> I'm so I'm thinking about this. <laughs> is that a, was that a good game? It was good. Did you enjoy I that? was thinking about Captain America being like, yo, Bruce. <laughs> Could I give Wolverine this kid? <laughs> I feel like Cap would like deeply respect Bruce Springsteen. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, absolutely. <sighs> Do you think Captain America and Bruce Springsteen are on a first name basis? Yes. Yes. I, I think so. Like, Cap goes to a Bruce Springsteen concert and says, Bruce, I have to say, that was an incredible show. I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> no, this is... Okay, 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 okay. He wouldn't so even my, call him Bruce. He would call him Mr. Springsteen. So, okay, my, um, my uncle and my aunt love Bruce Springsteen more than, like, anything in the world. Valid. They live in the same area of New Jersey as Bruce does. And uh, my aunt had run into him, I think, at the gym once. And, uh, you know, it was, like, very normal. Just, like, had a casual and normal conversation with Bruce Springsteen. And then a couple weeks later, they apparently rent, like, a in New Jersey, you can rent, like, basically what is a shed on the beach to, like, keep your stuff. Mm -hmm. And they apparently rent in the same, like, at the same beach. And Bruce shows up and is, like, playing with my, like, my nephew, my cousins, and my aunt texts my uncle, like, you have to get down here right now. Um, Bruce is here, and he's playing with the boys. Um, <laughs> and Bruce so, and the boys, you know. So my uncle, first of all, drinks the same, like, tequila as Bruce Springsteen, because he's wow. so obsessed with Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, when they got married, they did, um born to run as their first like dance like that's how big of bruce springsteen fans they are and Fair. the first thing my uncle says upon meeting bruce springsteen is you wrote the soundtrack to my life man 
Aww. And so that's what comes to mind when Captain America meets <laughs> the boss. God. I mean, that's not Except a lie. this time, Cap is talking about born in the USA and not, like, Thunder Road. Yes. Yes. Well. On that note. On that, that note. note <laughs> we should probably do the, do the damn thing. <laughs> Thank you, Mikey. You're welcome. Thank you for the Mad Lib. Glad I could bring that about. And welcome to The Young Ones, a podcast all about teen superhero teams and why we love them. My name is Charlie, and I use they them pronouns. That was me. <laughs> Mikey! <laughs> My name's Mikey, and I use he, him pronouns. And I'm Reed, and I use they, them pronouns. And this is episode 35, and apparently it's a disaster. Already? No. No, it's incredible. What are you talking about? <laughs> We're just it's like, oscillating. It's okay. <laughs> it's incredible. Mikey just tr- was just slightly trapped in a liminal space. Trying to get on the bus today. I got trapped in the bus dimension. <laughs> <laughs> it was like an episode of the Twilight Zone, except instead of the Twilight Zone, it was the bus dimension. I mean... It's the sixth <laughs> dimension. Yeah. God, I'm so excited for the new Twilight Zone, actually. Me too. CBS All Access is going to want my money, and I'm going to give it to them and be happy about it. It kind of seems like it's uh, maybe it's too spooky for Charlie's, but everything is kind of too spooky for Charlie, so it's fine. I mean, you know you know me, though, Charlie. I'm a huge, like, Twilight Zone fan. I mean, I know. I know everybody's like, this is great. I love it. It's terrifying. And I'm like, I'm going to go sit in my chair with my blanket. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> I watch the Twilight Zone when I can't sleep. Okay, Reed. <laughs> Well, okay, no, 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 it's not, like, because I don't, like, pay attention, it's just that Rod Sterling's voice is, like, very soothing. I mean, it's fair. That's very true. That's fair. And I, I feel like Jordan Peele's voice has similar qualities. Yes, it's got a, it's got the same timbre. Yeah. Ooh, nice, nice adjective. I learned it in my class. I always thought it was pronounced timbre, but I'm, I was wrong. I thought it was, too, but thank you for enlightening me. It's actually me. a noun. I did teach something else to somebody this week also. So thank you for teaching me. And thank you for teaching me, Mikey, that it's not an adjective. You're welcome. Well, whatever. Char- Charlie was the one that said adjective, but... Sorry! I, I didn't question it. I forget about how grammar works when I'm confronted with the actual need for these types of situations. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm like, oh, what is an adjective? Apparently, I, I just forgot all my education. That's fine. I don't know. Whatever. Welcome to the young ones. We go back to teen superheroes because we also need to learn how grammar works just like these teens do. Yes. You know, something like that. I don't know that grammar is something they're really teaching. It's actually not. I'm like, it really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the segue of our the main topic of our show. Really quickly, though, can I just ask what Scott Summers' talk at the International Cookie Conference would be? <laughs> Because I really need to know. Well, can we we, we might d- diverge for a second? It is Girl Scout cookie season, so I must ask each one of you now. Hey, 
Hey, Reed, what what would Scott Summer's favorite Girl Scout cookie be? Shortbread. So tree foil kind of kind of guy. Okay. Yeah, he's it's just it's very simple and like it's very soothing. Like it's they're my favorite ones, so mm-hmm. they're Scott's favorite ones. That tracks. Valid. That tracks. Mikey, what's Captain America's favorite uh, Girl Scout cookie? I think it's also going to be my favorite. Just because that is what I'm thinking right now. I think it's um, Thin Mints, the classic. I mean, that's it's classic. That is very classic. Yeah. And you got the chocolate and the minty all in one. Because I don't, I don't know if uh, I don't know if Captain America's really a coconut man. I am, but I don't know if he is. Also, they're probably his favorite because they're very similar to like a York peppermint patty, which is like a very yeah. classic old fashioned candy. Yeah, or like Andy's mints. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's same fair. flavor flavor palette thing. What about Shatterstar? What are Shatterstar's favorite Girl Scout cookies? Um, I oscillate between two, which I feel like he also does. One, trefoil, not trefoil. Excuse, yeah, no, tag along. Excuse me, I don't even know how to cook you today. Tag along, chocolate peanut butter, delicious. My new favorite cookie as well. Actually, he he really likes sweet things, but like I feel like cookies aren't really high up on his list. I think he'd rather have like cake or like donuts or anything like that. But tagalongs are really good. I think if there's no tagalongs, it's it's got to be the caramel delights, aka Samoas. I just don't like calling them that because it's weird. So coconuts good, and those are by far the sweetest girl got cookie. So that's that's definitely probably Star's favorite. Those are my second favorite. When people are selling them outside the grocery store, like he cannot not go over there. And be like, no, no, we already bought like these at home. Like we have we have cookies at home. It's like, but but there's more. Um, so <laughs> I feel like Scott Summers' address at the the International Cookie Conference in Switzerland is probably like him announcing the new Mutant Scouts program. Oh Aww. my god, you're not wrong. That's really good. Yeah. Aww. And if anyone has any ideas of what Mutant Scout cookies would like would be called or like what their flavor profiles are you should definitely add us on twitter you probably should yes. yeah yeah because i mean utopia's got to make money right like yeah they, they need to bring in income so i love the idea of mutant scouts trooping all over up and down cal like taking the ferry or whatever <laughs> however they get to the mainland taking that in and then selling cookies door to door or grocery yeah. stores can you imagine yeah. like can you imagine like santo selling ca- uh, cookies like door to door i can it's good well so santa's santa's at the jean gray school so it would be hopes it would be generation hopes <laughs> yeah it would be the lights but minus ID so like Hope, Laurie, and Velocidad, and I'm just standing outside a grocery store. God, please, please donate to our like o- offshore a mutant nation. I was thinking like early Utopia era X Men, but this is better. <laughs> so so that's the thing though. This is post schism. Is the Cookie Conference? And read and now reads dead. Do do the okay. So to pivot to Wolverine and the X Men, does the Jean Grey School have a rival scout program? Oh, you know it. I think so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Are they called like Xavier Scouts? I hope not. I mean, probably not. But like the whole gist of the book is that Grey Guides. Grey Guides. Grey Guides. Oh, so so Girl Scouts in in 
the EU or the UK at least are girl guides. Yeah, yeah. So, like, and they're more focused on like survivalist stuff. No, they're called they're called snit scouts. Snit scouts. Snit scouts is very good. Read. That's very good. Yeah. Wow. I'm just blown. Yeah. I'm blown away by that. <laughs> and someone did consult Bruce on this. <laughs> Well, that's good. That's good. I'm glad. I feel like Logan's a big Bruce Springsteen fan, too. What were we saying that they don't study at the Jean Grey School? Grammar? Um, We do have diction and linguistics with Professor Rogue. I don't think that you're learning a lot in that class. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't. I feel like I feel like that's that's that one's a lost cause. Yeah, there's also mutant literature with Professor Paige Guthrie. (sighs) I got some stuff to talk about about Paige. But uh, we'll wait to get into it. Uh, so, yeah. So we're back uh, talking about apparently Bruce Springsteen. Also cookies. Also other things. But mainly Wolverine the X-Men 1 through 4. <laughs> Since we spent a whole episode uh, trying to discuss the prelude to the prelude schism and schism. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, we hope that you took notes. I guess. Yeah. I guess. I mean, for how? Yeah, I guess. I hope. I hope you did. I mean, some things don't become relevant. I guess until maybe issue number four, as far as like the characters that we kind of talked about and like needing an intro for. Um, coming into this, so yeah, yeah, issue four. That's definitely like a big deal. But like one through three, I think are pretty. Yeah, four is mostly lead up to the next arc. Yeah, which I'm wondering. As we go through this, if that's just kind of not how this is structured, like, there's, I think one through three is a pretty good, like, one shot, like, could be a pretty good one shot, but then four is just like, now we, now we must go further. Um, so, but I know we all kind of, like, sunk our teeth in it, into it a little bit more when we read these. So how did, how did you all feel revisiting this? Because I have some thoughts. I'm I'm curious about your thoughts. Yeah, I want to hear. Yeah, why don't you lead us in, Charlie? Okay. <laughs> I know this is a kid book, and I know this is a teen book, but I'm just gonna like lay it right on the line. I'm so glad that Glob Herman is an actual character now. I'm so glad that like the characters in this book have gotten more characterization outside of what this book does for them. And I know we're just starting, but like honestly, you can super tell that like Quentin Quire is Jason Aaron's favorite. Because he's like the I don't want to say only interesting kid in the first part, but like he's the only one we have background information on. And He's I feel like with the personality exactly, and I feel like if you were like fans of like Hellion or like anybody previous to this, like it would have probably yeah, I-, I can understand maybe your 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 bit of ire towards this book. Yeah, Glob is just like a. He's just a stand-in for your stereotypical bully. Yeah, and it's like not interesting. Well, and no. also, I think that the the. Blob is written as a very stock type of like this is what fat characters are written like, and yeah. that's really irritating. Um, I do really, really, actually love Blob and like 
came to love Glob while reading this series, but he's not written well. No, and definitely Quentin is the only one coming out of this, like, even with the adults looking competent in any way. Yeah. Which is interesting, and I could have really done without, like, the weird, like, snide, like, remarks of, like, the random kids talking about, like, this is where all the girls are, this is how we hit on girls, and this is, like, I'm sure gonna miss looking at Emma Frost. Yeah, I could have done without that. So I had a thought while I was reading this. I think Jason Aaron's writing here was heavily inspired by uh, Whedon's dialogue in the worst possible way. In that Joss Whedon has a very specific cadence of dialogue that he likes to write that's in all of his shows. And Jason Aaron seems like he's kind of trying to emulate this style, which is like, like it's coming out of a specific period, right? And so, like, going back to it, I'm like, huh. Like, everyone's kind of jokey, like, all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's less, like, his astonishing run, and it's written more like Buffy. Because I can see the Josh's, like, inspiration there, but it's it definitely rings more like, oh, this is Buffy, yeah. than it does, like, astonishing, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean, like, Buffy, and, like, I'm talking, when I talk about that, I mean his TV writing specifically, less, like, it, it, it sounds to me, and, and this is, like, I'm not gonna, you know, obviously Joss Whedon has had a lot of issues, and, and his work is a difficult thing to go back to at this point, um, and I'm, but I think, like, at this point, his work on, like, Buffy and Firefly was definitely influencing like how people write like ensemble casts yeah and especially like teens yeah it's something that like it becomes so ever-present like it honestly irks me so much (laughs) it's something that when i read it i was like oh this is really good and i still do think it's worth reading like I, i i like it a lot but it's definitely something where it's like god i'm glad we've moved past this and we can write books like especially teen books and ensemble books that don't sound like they just came off Whedon's sea list of material you know what I mean yeah I feel definitely like these first three issues could have absolutely turned you off to this book I mean like the first issue did yeah turn me off and it wasn't until I came back and I I don't even remember how we got started reading Wolverine and the X-Men. I mean, it was purely Quentin. It was purely trying to follow Quentin's character arc, which this is the book you want to read for that. Yeah. This book treats him better than, I think, outside of, like, generation the, the most recent Generation X and Jason Latour's Wolverine and the X-Men run. I think this book treats him, like, the most substantially with, like, where they wanted to try and push him. He just literally always keeps getting pulled back. I mean, it also is because it's the longest. Yeah. It's the longest one that he's been involved in. Like, I think I really, really appreciate, like, certain things that Christina Strange Generation X did, but I really don't appreciate how Quentin was treated in that, mostly just because I, I have issues with how Quentin is really, 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 I think, way more directly, like, queer baited in Generation X. And, like, I know that that's. Generation X did a lot of really great things for queer rep in comics, but 
it was difficult for me because the first X books that I read were just following Quentin. And I talked about this, I think, last episode too, where like he's so heavily, I think to me at least, reads as trans and queer coded that like it's hard for me to unpack that reading of the character into how he's written, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I definitely think that's fair. I was just going to say, like, I don't remember exactly, but it kind of seems like there is some, like, editorial mandate. Quentin Quire is straight is, like, the Marvel line, which is, like, unfortunate. Yeah. It's definitely another situation in which it's, we gotta have people sign off. We have to have eight people sign off on this before it can happen. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think that Quentin's treatment has a lot to do with how long... I mean, I think we talked about this last week, too. It just, like, goes on. Like, it encompasses, like, almost every big X event of the last ten years. And, like, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah. yeah. It, it was definitely, like, a long-running book. Going back to these first four issues, show me how rough it was in the beginning because yeah. i think once we get past these these issues it kind of starts to find its footing i actually I really like the way that this comic opens <laughs> no and like that's totally valid it's an interesting hook to like do like a school book centered around at least especially the the first issue for me centered around this like teacher that is trying so hard to keep everything on the rails and it's just like not happening and I think that my my like of it comes actually just from, like, my experiences in academia, like, because it's so hard to get anything done these days, especially funding is really tough. And, like, there are days where I really do feel like being in the university system is, like, standing on a, a Krakoa. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. Now that you mention that, I think that's what changed for me between when I read issue one like by itself and was super turned off by kitty being like kind of this hapless teacher and then later after having taught children myself reading all of wolverine and the x-men and i think then it was like oh i really like that she's just oh my god i'm so frazzled and i haven't had enough coffee and everything is going wrong because at that point i had taught like kindergartners and i'm like yeah no the I think the thing that for me that it kind of finds its footing after the at the end of these issues is the treatment of the kids, not so much the the teachers. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it does a it does an interesting like point of view shift from the teachers onto the kids, and I think that's what makes the characterization of the kids solidify. Yeah. So obviously, the setup for this is that Wolverine has started a school and kind of assembled a team of adult mutants to come help him teach at the rebuilt. They rebuild the Xavier Institute into the Jean Grey Institute of Higher Learning, I believe is what the full name of it is. Yes. We start with a tour of Wolverine and Charles Xavier, like going through the school and Charles kind of giving his sign off. Cause he's like alive. What do you call it? <laughs> he's like yeah, alive. He's yeah. alive and walking. Which we won't go into how that's happening, but that's a thing that is happening right now. And he's kind of like, what do you call it when someone's like not really a professor, but 
Emeritus. Yes. Um, professor Emeriti- Emeritia is the reti- is a professor that has, like, tenure and is basically retired, but is still, can still teach. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of, like, the role that he's fulfilling here is, like, he's kind of, like, giving Logan the A-OK for the school. Because Logan's definitely, like, oh, God, what have I got myself into? Yeah, and it's... It's kind of like why and how would Logan like happen upon this situation? And like the first couple issues do really illustrate like, Logan, what are you even doing? Like, what are you even doing? And like, we kind of like shift from the beginning, like to just further into just the school needing funding, like and to be like an accredited actual school. So obviously they're going to have a a group of people come out or two people come out and like toward the school. Yeah, from the New York Board of Education. Yeah. What you already know is going to become just be a disaster anyway. It kind of like follows the no good, terrible day that, <laughs> that occurs afterward. Obviously, these, these two Board of Education individuals are extremely like anti-mutant, it seems. Or like the kind of anti-mutant where it's like, no, mutants are totally fine, but also but not near I me. don't want to. Yeah, yeah but yeah, not near me. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite things about the introduction is, like, Logan does a shot, runs out of the, or, like, his office, and says, wish me luck, Genie," and walks past the statue of Jean, and then, like, later we get that same statue from another angle, and the spread of, like, the Jean Grey Institute, and, like, all of its weird, like, sci-fi buildings cobbled onto the more, like, stately manor buildings. Mm -hmm. That is a shot that I really love. Yeah, and I I like Buckalo's art a lot, and I think it's like running on all cylinders here. Yeah, for sure. I I think that like what I like about Buckalo's art is that it reminds me a little bit of Sinkevich's uh, New Mutants work. A little bit, yeah. It just in the sense that like everything is very fantastical, and like it's more about as like the spatial relationships between things than like rendering like this perfect drawing of this sprawling school and it's more like everything is kind of like twisty or a little too big or a little too small and like nothing kind of like matches if that makes sense yeah it does get really like frenetic in in certain spaces when it's like really necessary and it kind of like like his art lens tends to like overwhelm the page when you when you need to feel that way also which i really and his layouts do that too like it's not just because once shit kind of hits the fan, like, the layouts become very chaotic, which I enjoy, if that makes sense. Yeah, I also like that he is okay having, like, a large amount of panel size variation. He'll have, like, a bigger panel to show all those details or the surroundings, like, kind of like an establishing panel, if you will, before moving on to more frenetic or zoomed in mm-hmm. um panels. Yeah. Like it's it's very fluid. He's not like there's some artists for which like the nine panel grid, which is like a very standard comics layout, like super works. But I think the more fluid panel layout that Bacalo favors like super works in this book in particular. And I'm I'm glad that he's the one to start off this book. I think it works really well. Yeah. I do really like the framing device of like this tour happening where like you see through that tour. You see like, all the professors and like correct. what they're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, I, I do like that. Because it's also like what, 
Yeah, because it's also like the question in the reader's mind is like, okay, so what? There's this new school. They've renamed it. Obviously, schism has happened and Logan is a headmaster. What makes this school different from the Xavier Institute as we knew it? Or like, how is it similar and how is it different? And I think the tour also helps to establish that, like in set the status quo of what this what we're going to expect from this school. Yeah. And like the the zaniness is established almost immediately. And sometimes sometimes it works for me. Sometimes it doesn't like to varying degrees. Like I love comic book silliness, but like sometimes it can get a little overwhelming. And I think this book has a lot of it. And I don't. And sometimes it's such a like juxtaposition to like the quiet moments it also like the quiet like serious moments it also ends up having and i sometimes don't know how i feel about like those two like being weighed on the same kind of page because like we go from like issue one through issue two and then there's like a part in issue three where the resolution happens to this entire situation that like we get a like a like a a mount like mounting mounting like ridiculousness and then there's this moment and in issue three where quentin talks to krakoa like like in that is such a that is such a like character defining conversation that he has with him that it sometimes it feels lost in everything else that's going on if that makes sense yeah i yeah i would agree i think um it reminds me of those god they have a name but you know those little like they're not little they're like the really big sprawling like cause and effect like machines Mm mm-hmm like, you know, you push the little ball and it, Rube like, Goldberg knocks out a machines? bunch of- Oh, Rube Goldberg yeah. machines. Yeah. Yeah, that's, like, what this art reminds me of, like, plotting-wise. That, yeah, that makes sense. Like, we gotta push this to get here, and then we have to move this to go here, yeah. 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 I do think that, like, my favorite, like, it, at least in issue one, the place where, like, the, the ridiculousness is the most strong for me is when Logan talks to Hank, and like, is trying so hard to get Hank to be, like, charming and, like, say really nice things about the school, and there's this one point where he says something about how the school is, like, completely, like, self-powered, like, it generates its own power, and Hank goes, I don't think I could stop it if I tried. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just, like, it's so, I don't know, it's just, it's really, it's cute, like, I just, I, I get warm fuzzies, like, talking about this book. No, I, I, I feel, Honestly, I feel that way about, like, Kitty and Logan's relationship. Yeah, I do really like that relationship. The the interspersed, like, cutaways we get, like, when, like, Logan was talking to Bobby, that also, like, that's, that's also, like, a, a, like, a good baseline. Because no matter what happens here, we, it's always a through that, like, Logan's just trying to do what he thinks is best. He's trying to do right by, like, all this legacy, I guess. Like, and we never, we never lose sight of that. Like, Logan's always good, like, through this book. Always. That's something you can definitely count on. Yeah, I I like that this book, maybe more so than any other, lets us see, like, we see, like, bits and pieces in other books, but this is all about logan's relationship with other Mm x-men and 
it humanizes him in a way again like no other book is like focused on before this like obviously we'd get bits and pieces in other books but this is really like no he's worked with these people for so long he knows all of them he's like friends with all of them or at the very least co-workers like they are here because they believe in his vision but he as much as anyone else is like trying to figure out how to make this thing work and like the kids it's a school other than it being weird the kids can more or less deal with like the school outline or like what is expected of them but the adults have no idea what the fuck is going on or like they're constantly like doubting themselves whereas the teens are more self-confident and i think that's a really good juxtaposition as well yeah of like these are adults that even though in theory someday what they would grow up to lead the x-men it's not something that they were really ever prepared for and we're kind of like seeing that here but like they're making do anyway because like that's what you do right like nobody necessarily prepares you to become like a parent or anything like that but you have to trust that you've been like raised well enough to to make the best of the situation and that's kind of like what they're all doing because like at the end of the day the x-men is family and that's that's kind of the core of this book too Mm -hmm. that was well put mikey good job yeah, that was very articulate and nice. Thank you. Yeah. So so we get speaking of um Glob Herman that we mentioned earlier, who if you don't are not familiar, he is a pink goo boy. Mm-hmm. It's basically his deal. Um he was one of the Omega gang. So one of Quentin's like OGs. Not lackeys. I mean, that's what they were. I like the the Christmas story phrasing of toadies. Yes, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. Toadie is a good. Yeah, that's that's what I was looking for. Toadie or groupie. He just kind of like followed Quentin around because he was like, "You're a cool guy that has an attitude, and I want to be a cool guy, guy with too." A, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were yeah, teenagers so, with attitude. They were teenagers oh my with God, attitude. They were. So here he's following around Hellion, who mm. Julian Keller has been through a lot. But that doesn't necessarily make him a good guy. No. Um, he, he's all over the place, like, honestly. But here, he's bullying one of the new kids, Brew, who is the one of my personal favorites, actually. Boy. Yeah, he's such a good boy. The goodest boy. I yeah. actually just said to someone the other day that all I want is a Brew and Morlock miniseries where they just, like, <laughs> do nice things (laughs) yeah so the brew is a brood who are basically just the face huggers from alien as like a race yeah that's 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 all you need to know about i mean they're like xenomorph adjacent yeah yeah but again like they're, they're just every every like alien from the movie alien put together but brew is a mutant because he has he's capable of intellect and reason and thought past i want to eat you well it's not even the it's not just his like reason and intellect because we meet another smart brood later on it's his like compassion yeah it's literally like it's the same mutation basically that warlock has is that he's just nice yeah yeah he's just a nice one yeah 
we first see him getting bullied by Glob Herman and Hellion. Well, more Hellion and then Glob Herman's just there. Yeah. And then Logan, of course, interrupts and kind of just by his mere presence makes them go away. Logan does that scene that Rosa does when she gets the puppy in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's like, I've had Brew for five hours now, and if anything would happen to him. <laughs> it's, um... No, 100%. Yeah. It, like, and also we get introduced to the um weird stuff in the bathroom? Yeah, so the danger room... The, the it's no longer the danger room they upgraded it so it can take over any part of the school at any time to prepare students for the unprepared so hellion and glob are in the bathroom and it all of a sudden becomes the, like the danger room invades and becomes the bathroom yeah it's so good th- yeah and that's a recurring that is a recurring situation well, and then they use it offensively too yes which yeah. is kind of neat Needless to say, the the New York school board inspectors are nonplussed. Yes. At the very least by this. Extremely. And then Idy, we talked about some last week, how she's kind of this um born sexy yesterday, uh constantly talking about good and evil. That's that's how she's introduced here again, basically, as like <sighs> the hot girl who says, you know, we're all evil because colonialist narratives yeah like like carrie almost like we're all like completely stone-faced with a smile like we're all going to die and we're going to hell in a handbasket yeah and goodbye thanks it, it it's of all the characters and the of the main cast in these first few issues id is probably handled the, the worst. worst i would say yeah 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 I would agree. And, like, I also, I think that it's true of the whole comic, actually, that Aidy is handled the worst. Yeah, eventually she kind of gets, like, her own arc, but I don't know But if it's it, all like... centered around two male characters wanting to... Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Or actually, three. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But then, like you said, Quentin Quire is definitely Jason Aaron's favorite. We get a whole page of him i love that page i love that (laughs) it's such a good page it's so good it's gonna be the cover art for this episode like a hundred percent but quentin's sprawled out across like three desks and he's taken a bunch of red sharpies to the floor and saying i'm a political prisoner because he's not allowed out while the school inspectors are there Mm -hmm. yeah he's he's got a he's in detention just for Quentin. Lockheed is watching him. Yeah, and he's I think this is the first time we see like what will have become his iconic look. Yeah. Yeah. Like outside of new X-Men, like what is going to be like rotating shirts, like t-shirts, the buttons, the, the buttons, shorts, the blazer, the, the shorts, boots. the high socks and the boots. Yeah. It's really good. I love this panel yeah. so much. Yeah. Yeah. He's so Vitala just draws him like in such a charming way. Like, yeah, he's very smarmy, but like charming. Like yeah, yeah, smarming, smarming, smarming. Might one might say, yeah. No, this that's the panel that was like, this is good. This is some good shit right here. <laughs> yeah. Then we've also got Kid Gladiator and his bodyguard warbird i yes. actually love kid gladiator yeah no i mean same 
All he wants to do is like punch things. This is very much just like a like a building the cast kind of setup. Yeah, for sure. Actually, Cape Gladiator reminds me a lot of Shatterstar. Now that I think about it, um, perhaps he's got some like self centeredness. I think that Shatterstar doesn't quite have. No, but like it's very like I think that uh, possibly something that's become a bit of a trope in like young X Men teams is you have to have one alien that like doesn't really like get anything but just kind yeah. of enjoys hitting things. Yeah, and I yeah. think that. Shatterstar might have been the starting point for that. Yeah, I think you're not wrong. I think, um, like, very much the first, like, Star's first several, like, when people actually remember that Star was a teenager, like, when X-Force started, like, his first couple of appearances, like, before, you know, he started actually to become somebody different, like, he was very ego-driven. Like, he was very much, like, move out of the way, you don't know what you're doing, let me just let me do it, like, type of situation. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think definitely maybe was impetus for, like, other characters going forward. I definitely like the person Star grew into becoming <laughs> a little bit more, because he could be head... Yeah, he's, like, he's really a lot better. He's a lot better now. He's a lot better now, yeah. With, with the good portion of the team kind of, like, each getting their own introduction, then, of course... They kind of let the inspector, the skull inspectors chill for a second because someone has showed up at the front door. Can I talk to you about how much I hate the Kitty Hellfire Club? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. Because I really do. Like, they're just so unnecessary. Yeah. Like, they're tedious. I just hate it. I just hate it. I hate it every time they're on the page. I hate every plot thread that has anything to go back and do with them. The like the only thing that I enjoy is the end of issue three where Matt Murdock shows up to serve Cade Kilgore yes. a, a like a, a bill. Like I'm like, oh Matt's okay, here. Okay, I did get a little chuckle out of that though. Yeah, no. I'm like, Matt's here. Good. <laughs> yeah. Basically um, any opportunity that like my number one ultimate favorite character can show up in an X book is a good day for me, but the Kitty Hellfire Club is bad. Yeah, Cade Kilgore is not some cream-faced business boy. He is, in fact, an obnoxious <laughs> kid billionaire. Yeah, intent on the destruction of the X Men? Question mark for like what reason exactly? We don't ever figure that out. I think actually the thing that I hate the most about the Kid Hellfire Club is the girl. Yeah. Yeah, the, like, weird, like, I hate animals girl. Well, she doesn't hate animals, it's that she, like, calls everything kitty, and is just, like, really into violence, but, like, can only say kitty. Yeah, she's, she's, she's extremely, like, gothic Lolita. Yeah. Gothic Lolita girl who also murder, but, like, not in, like, a cute or charming way. So they took her out of the manga Death Note and put her in a... <laughs> you know, you're not yeah. wrong. Yeah, she reminds me actually a lot of, like, Invader Zim. Oh, shit, you're totally not wrong. No, uh, this is definitely... The Hellfire... Kid Hellfire Club is definitely the worst parts of Invader Zim and Death Note slammed together <laughs> and put in a big old blender. Oh, <laughs> Well, you're not you're right but you shouldn't say it, say it. <laughs> i mean i did and i'm not gonna take it back 
Yeah, no, Mikey, you're not wrong. And, like, one of them's, like, related to Frankenstein. What even is this? Like, who came He's up like with this? He's, like, Frankenstein's grandkid? Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. So... It's everyone's mall goth OCs. Like, when you, yeah, like, yeah. wore a lot of trip pants and you, like, came up with your Invader Zim OCs, that's, that's who they are. <laughs> like, and it's just yeah. so tonally dissonant from the book. Like, or what should be, you know what I mean? Like, the worst parts of this book is, like, when that's, like, heavily incorporated into what's going on. You mean the Hellfire Club saga? Yeah. Yeah. Which we'll get to. Yeah, so, just TLDR, I guess, they attack the school and unleash chaos. Like, that's basically the whole second issue. Yeah. So I don't even know that it's worth, like, going into it. one thing that is worth going into is Krakoa. Yes. Which is, I think, actually issue three, because issue two is the Frankenstein monsters. What the yeah. fuck, actually? Yeah. Which just look like Lobo, <laughs> but bad. They look like New 50, like the new Lobo, but bad. So, like, that's all I got there. Um. Well, the other good thing, I guess, that we get from issue two is Logan, the flashback with Logan and Bobby. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird to think about how Bobby wasn't out yet. Yeah. How straight they try to make, make him Bob- in this book. Yeah. yeah. It's like taking the it's like taking the lesbian and like taking the um gay guy and like <laughs> trying to smash him together and be like, look, they're dating now. Actually, the funniest thing about me is that my first boyfriend like also came out as gay like later on. Yeah, that's not like an unprecedented yeah. thing to happen too, is the exactly. funny thing. Like that's what I was it's thinking very, about. Like it's very regular, but like also just like it's it's funny when it happens like in your life and you can like laugh about it with your like ex later, but reading it is just not comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Other bad things that happen in issue two. <laughs> Brew falls in love with Idy literally at first glance. That's and like I can I can tolerate that. That's because Brew is so yeah. good, I can tolerate it. It's when Quentin sees Idy that like I can't. Yeah, I just hate how it's like, oh, I'm having a particular reaction and like in my knees and my heart and like that, But that's that how I also the part feel I was... when I see a pretty girl. <laughs> Okay, that's fair. Brew is a lesbian. Don't ask me any more questions. (laughs) Okay, thanks. Yeah, also, Cade Kilgore does say the one thing he does say is the Hellfire Club isn't here to destroy buildings. We've come to demolish entire hearts and minds. It's just like, what are you even? You get it. You read one book about the Vietnam War. God. Um, the other thing, so the other one, another interesting thing that happens in this issue is we see the first time. Um, so Bobby Drake is Iceman, um, who you know has ice powers, surfs around on ice. That's what people are most familiar with in terms of his power set. But this is the first time we see him creating ice golems. Yeah, it is. Which eventually leads up to becoming a whole plot point in bendis's x-men run because they also when he creates ice golems they have kind of like their own minds like they're pieces of him did you read x-factor in 2006 cool you understand what's gonna happen 
with these ice golems. Like, that's... It feels very, like, Jamie Madrox-y. Yeah. 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 And because it's one of the ice golems kisses Kitty, right? It's yeah. not... while Simultaneously while Bobby is being hit on by Warbird. Yeah. Which... Yeah. Uh, Warbird. Warbird, that lady's not a that lady's not straight for sure. First of all, that Warbird just hits on everyone. But also, like, I have a lot of yuck about so much of how Warbird is like written and drawn. I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah, she hits on everyone, but in like not a good way. It's like she is the obnoxious, like, hey, baby. You doing anything later? Like, all the time in the middle of a fight, it's like, yo, fucking chill. Oh, boy. Oh, we have, like, Peter David Shatterstar disease happening. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. Like, she's the alien that wants to hit on and Why is that a trope? Can we just throw that trope in the garbage? Can we just, like, put it in the garbage and, like, bury it somewhere, like, really far down, but, like, environmentally friendly so it doesn't, like, make everything toxic Just let it decompose. It? Yeah, can we just like, yeah. get rid of it? Compost it. Can we put it in the sun? Actually, can we just put it in the sun? I Recycle think it and make it into a better trope. Yeah, exactly. Like I want to, like I want to drink, like I want to drink water out of this recycled trope bottle. That's what I want to do. Like later, let's just fix it. God. Yeah, it's it's not great, and that's <laughs> so that's that's again a thing that continues to come up. It this will not be the last time Warbird is flirting with someone in an inopportune way. So Krakoa. <laughs> I so love Krakoa. Krakoa is a good plant child. So Krakoa is a living island. Yes. The island by walks like, like a, a man. Krakoa is a mutant. Yes. Well, this Krakoa is. The original Krakoa jury's out on that one. <laughs> uh, because this is not the original Krakoa. This is the original Krakoa's grandkid i guess that was grown in a vat that's that's what the book tells me yes yeah can i just read quentin's monologue at the end of this issue go for it it it's good krakoa the living island a mutated chunk of rock with a hive mind sentience when wolverine joined the x-men it was the first enemy they faced sounds like a bad joke i know but it's actually killed its share of x-men i can see into its mind feel its mindless animal rage is come to snap the bones of children to make the X-Men bleed. Fighting it with claws or ice powers is an utter waste of time, like trying to slow down an avalanche with a squirt gun. There's only one person here with the power to face Krakoa. And that'd be me, Quentin Choir, Kid Omega. But unfortunately for the rest of these half-witted wannabes and washed-up old losers, I'm perfectly fine right where I'm at. And we see that Quentin has somehow broken out of detention, has a glass of soda, and is just chilling in the, like, command center of the school? (laughs) Something like that. With a shirt that says, ever get the feeling you've been cheated. (laughs) I, listen. Listen, I love Quinn Choir so much. I I also love the ever get the feeling you've been cheated shirt. This is also a very good shot of him. Quentin has- With his smarmy-ass grin. The best shirts. Oh, I'm not just saying that because, like, Quentin is me. They're just good shirts. <laughs> They're just good shirts. 
Should we have a running rank of, like, Quentin's best shirts? Like, should we, like, battle the Adam style of Quentin's shirts? <laughs> maybe, maybe, like, yeah, maybe once we get further in, that's absolutely something we should do. Because um, it's not a shirt, but the the cover for Wolverine and the X-Men number three has yet more Quentin Quire graffiti. Remember when Wolverine was cool? Me neither. And then a button... I love this fucking button that says Little Miss Drama. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's was, very good. Quentin is such a good kid. Quentin is yeah. terrible, but like Quentin is great. Quentin is um yeah. Quentin Quentin contains multitudes, as Walt Women would say. Yeah. That monologue is very good, but I also like the, another one coming up. So Yeah. So the third issue starts out with a flashback to two weeks ago and the events some of which were hinted at in that Mad Lib that we started out mm-hmm. with of Wolverine and Captain America doing the handoff of Quentin Choir. Oh, this scene is so good. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's really good. It's basically how Quentin ended up at the school and what happened to basically make that happen because Quentin was in custody after his outburst at the UN, which was not the cookie conference, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but it kind of gives us a little bit of a situation in regards to like what Captain America's doing, like what the situation is, how Quentin's at the school, like the rapport between Logan and Quentin. It's just a really, really good scene. Yeah. I also just like the use of black and white colors for the flashbacks it's a good they're good yeah it's a really good way to alternate it because we got that with the one with bobby too because at this point like wolverine and cap have been working together as part of various avengers teams for quite some time so like they're 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 co-workers they have an understanding and logan has kind of negotiated the the transfer of custody of Quentin Quire, who is considered a terrorist by three quarters of the governments on the globe because he forced them to reveal their deepest, most effervescent secrets on camera. No, um, <laughs> the deepest, darkest secrets on camera. It's I think this scene is like definitely one of the standouts in the entire like first three issues. I would agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Also, I just love whenever Quentin gets to go off TBH and like Logan attempting to deal with that. Like it just sets up their rapport. And if you know what's coming later, like if you know what's going to happen in this book and then you kind of know what happens at the end of Logan's life, it just like it it just like makes it even more of a thing. Definitely. Yeah. Also, I like Logan as like a prison abolitionist in this, too. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because he says, trust me, nobody wants to see him pay more than me. But you lock this boy in a cell somewhere, you're only going to create a monster. An Omega-level monster. Which is is really good. Because yeah. he's like... It's true. Yeah. I mean, like, what happened when Quentin was in Cap's custody is he was just, like, grating on that anyway. He's just increasingly resentful. Um, which is a totally valid way to be, because... Yeah, and I, I, I actually, I also very much like Captain America and Quentin's, like, whole rapport. Like, there's a one-shot. Um, oh, yeah, the New Deal. Yeah, there's a one-shot that I love 
um, with Cap and Quentin in it. It's an A plus X story. <sighs> it's so good. Jason Latour wrote that, and it's so good. But th- it's kind of like we get this, and then we kind of slide back into like we kind of get like this how Quentin's this like big bad we're taking to the school, and then we kind of slide back into the story in like a really funny way. Yeah, but Quentin's monologue here is. So that's it, huh? Next stop, the big house, the Wolverine home for wayward boys. I can't wait for that scene in the third act when your tough love finally breaks through my thorny exterior to reach the frightened, lonely little boy underneath. There won't be a dry eye in the house. Should we just skip the drama and just hug it out right here? (laughs) And Logan says, shut your face, bub, before I cut it off. How's that for tough love? Quentin goes, feeling the magic already. Quentin is a really good genre savvy protagonist yes yeah but not in the same way as like a uh, deadpool or gwenpool yeah like yeah he he doesn't have like meta view into the goings on he's just like i know how this is going to go because this is like every story ever and he uses it to poke fun at the people around him like acting in like like playing to cliche or trope yeah because he sees himself as above it all or would like to believe he's above it all yeah uh, that's like that's why my perfect quentin is one that's like basically like this but like maybe turn it you can turn it up a little even more like there was a recent like christmas one shot that jason latour wrote that was like quentin and kate bishop in a mall trying to figure out like who killed them all santa and yeah like there's a like diehard like homage in that that's like so good like i love jason latour's quentin because like his weird is just turned up a little bit more and i love it like it's good like it's like i miss i miss quentin like this i really do really do (laughs) yeah so he's just sitting in his control console sipping his soda when the one of the board of education people has been turned into a windigo by the hellfire kids burst through the wall yeah and, along and with the, the rest, rest of the kids of the kids follow yeah who have absolutely no idea who he is which is great <laughs> yeah but he's been trending on twitter how could they not know who he is Get the fuck out of here, Quentin. How the hell do you not know me? Come on, my name was trending on Twitter not two weeks ago. I got a stern warning from Captain America himself. (laughs) Just completely incredulous that these kids don't know who he is. Which Yelling. Yeah. Man is busted in on drinking soda and screams, I'm not owned. I'm not owned. (laughs) (sighs) No, it's like that that whole part where the kids like just don't even give a shit about like whatever quentin's doing is just really good yeah so we start to see like one of the other kind of fundamental parts of quentin choir which is his insecurity complex yeah that he tries to hide so but he hides under snappy t-shirts and buttons yep uh-huh. he's like an onion got layers <sighs> He he would like you to believe he has more layers than he actually yes, does. Yes, that's yes. the thing. That's the thing. Uh, he would love to have you believe that he's this infinitely complicated being that you just can't comprehend and know. Like no. he's crystal clear, <laughs> seeing right through it. Like and Wolverine did too. So yeah, 
Because, like, if he was actually the person that he's putting up this act, the person that he imagines himself to be in all these monologues, he would not have settled into the role that he does in the school. Yeah. And the book would have you lead you to also believe that, like, he ultimately saves the day because he, it's like, well, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to be trapped here, then so are the rest of you, basically. So he talks to Krakoa, who's, you know, he, he could just, if he was really as bad as he was, as much of a bad boy as the persona that he's putting on is, he could have just continued to sit there. But instead he's like, I'm going to fucking do something about this. And talks to Krakoa and actually has like a really good Ah, heart to heart. Yeah, Krakoa and Quentin's friendship is actually like genuinely one of the sweetest things. Yeah. Because also he shows up, he and Krakoa show up in Jason Aaron's Thor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like just, I wish that there was more screen time devoted to their friendship because like they're it's really interesting to me that like they bond so intensely, you know? Yeah. And, and like, it, it, I mean, yeah. it's built on this conversation right here. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's no fun being lonely. And you act out when you're lonely. And you don't know how to express yourself. Like, that's, that's Quentin talking to Krakoa. But it's also Quentin talking to Quentin. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's also Quentin talking about himself. Yeah. I also, what's interesting about it, too, is like, not necessarily that because Rachel tries to deal with Krakoa and it's it's written as though Rachel isn't powerful enough to do that and I don't think that that's the case I really think it's most it's more so that like Rachel is trying to um telepathically attack Krakoa and like shut him Mm -hmm. down whereas Quentin comes from it comes from this act like this place of genuine empathy which is kind of interesting yeah, no, I I agree a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, I just I don't know. I just wanted to bring up like the racial element of it because I think that that's neat. And Quentin, Quentin does it and doesn't even like tell anyone that he's done that, right? Like, if again, if he were the person that he tells everyone he is, he would be demanding that people know that he's the one that quelled Krakoa. But mm-hmm. instead, he just does it and lets everybody think that Rachel was the person that helped mm-hmm. with Krakoa and just kind of like walks away. And so already like the facade is a farce, no matter what the adults say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like the, the framed moment at the end of issue three, where Quentin's on that lawn chair. <laughs> with oh, his, the send more sentinels. Send more sentinels. Yeah. And his little, speedo question mark yeah it's a speedo yeah it's a speedo with the radioactive sign on and his ipod it's it's so good because like rachel just totally doesn't get him either is the other thing that like it couldn't be quentin like that would just be wild and and (laughs) and there he is (laughs) there he is yeah yeah it's a really good setup yeah and 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 she just lets it go and they they run into each other hard in other places in this book too like i'm thinking about like uh, a scene from uh, a couple issues from now in a classroom where like quentin touches on like her hound persona basically and it's it's like not a great thing that he does but it's like 
them both kind of being like brick walls of people and it's it's interesting i think him and rachel are like two kind of opposing personalities like they're they're coming from like two different places in life and like they just constantly clash which i think is really interesting yeah i agree because i think rachel sees quentin as kind of like a spoiled brat Mm -hmm. and quentin sees rachel as like this kind of overbearing like thinks she like because she's been through all this stuff that that makes her like a telepathic expert like he you know kind of like doesn't agree with that yeah and also she's part of the establishment so yeah yeah issue three is like a good cap but like the next issue it's interesting that it's in the same trade because it's like nothing to do with like anything issue four got nothing to do with nothing it really doesn't no but it introduces the other best boy it does so i'm okay with it who's the other best boy the other best boy is the boy that I talked about some oh, last oh, week. Oh, yes, our Evan. other our other very very good kind And I got boy. some real bad whiplash from moving to uh from from Bacalus Art to Nick Bradshaw. Oh boy. Yeah. Did I? Yeah. Did I? Did I? So yeah, Nick Bradshaw's on art now. Not permanently just like for this it's arc for this or this issue. issue. Yeah. 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 They kind of they although him and Bacala do kind of like go back and forth on art. And we learn that Logan is still doing X-Force at night. It's working two jobs. That's got to be rough. I actually think that this might be the only book that ever has, like, tried to give impact onto how many teams Logan is on, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. No, you're not wrong. And, like, I appreciate it. Yeah, because, again, like, with this being the book that's centered on Logan and his relationships, that's where like him burning the candle at both ends matters right Mm -hmm. it's like he's trying to be so many things to so many people that that's kind of like an untenable thing for him to be and i like that it's touched on here because it's like still important enough for him to be the headmaster that he does it yeah and then we kind of like get some spill off from x-force too like we mentioned it here like at the beginning and then we mention it again when we talk about evan then we talk about an an angel fucking Fucking angel, Jesus Christ. Fucking, yeah, fucking angel. Sorry, I just need to point out the, like, establishing shot that we get when we go into the school is Toad, like, picking some hay up off the ground in dupe with a sun hat and a piece of hay in his mouth and a rake. And gloves. It's so good. That's, like, ready to be a meme. Yeah. I love this picture of dupe. I want to frame it. <laughs> it's so good. We kind of get the class together and like <laughs> I don't know who invited Deathlock, but why? That's what you do when you have to talk about Days of Future Past is you invite a mutant death robot into your class, I suppose. So I don't know who Deathlock is and like have never looked up who Deathlock is. Deathlock's from Uncanny X Force. Okay. He he, he he came from like a future where, like, everybody gets turned into Deathlocks. Okay. Yeah, he's from, like, an arc of uncanny X-Force called Deathlock Nation. I don't know much more than that. I just assumed that he was Marvel's ripoff of... Who's the character from Teen Titans? Cyborg? (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, oh no, no, no. Um, also, he's got really. a he's got um tech in his head that lets him see the future, like and generates probabilities. Okay. So that's why when like you see like him giving probabilities and like we we get our first glimpse at a fu- at a possible future that. Oh, so he's Marvel's ripoff of Midnighter. Okay, I, I guess see. Maybe. Okay. I mean, that's okay because everybody was during the like the time that he was introduced. Wildstorm and Marvel were rapidly ripping each other off. <laughs> so you know, all fair and loving comics. Mix, I, I guess. guess. Yeah, I guess. Sure. He's got a piece of tech in his head that lets him like tell probabilities and like future statistics and stuff so that's where that whole thing comes from he's the matrix he's kind of yeah um he's in the new x-force book i wish he wasn't also we learned the school is hemorrhaging money yeah, yeah. We do. which is the lead up to my favorite arc in this whole series i think it's a good one can i talk for a second just about my good boy evan please yeah please do. Who is introduced as Genesis, um, who immediately says, you can call me Evan. And this is in the middle of the class that Kitty teaches, Future History 101, where they're learning about the Age of Apocalypse. And everyone is low-key freaking out because, as I talked about last week, Evan is a clone of Apocalypse. And he looks very similar to apocalypse and everyone is looking at their textbooks and looking at this kid and this is maybe the worst way to introduce him what are you doing kitty uh, kitty kitty she's trying her best kitty. i know but i love i love how brew raises his hand and says miss pride if i may i would just like to take this opportunity to personally welcome genesis and say that i hope he finds these surroundings as intellectual as intellectually stimulating as i have <laughs> they're just so good ever the optimist <sighs> like so good it's very good yeah quentin is wearing a shirt that says wake me when the humans are dead that is a very good Quentin shirt, and shirt. I think it might be higher on the rank of Quentin shirts than have you ever get the feeling that you've been cheated. Uh, yeah, wake me when all the humans are dead is a is a is a really good shirt. So that's definitely in the lead right now. Yeah, he's even got like he's made like a nuclear mushroom cloud <laughs> around the words, <laughs> which is a lot. Sure is. Do you think that Quentin makes the shirts or do you think that he psychically like projects that he's wearing a new shirt every day? Oh, that's a good question. No, Quentin is all about authenticity, though. That's true. I feel like he makes these shirts. I feel like he does. I just it occurred to me. And so I was like, oh, wait, that, that, that other part that could be a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. No, posers mentally project their <laughs> shirt sayings on. Real punks have a vast array of white t-shirts and Sharpies that they make DIY. Yeah. Yep. Oh, Quentin. (sighs) So Evan is pretty much immediately (laughs) bummed out by this entire class. I mean, yes. Kid Gladiator calls him a scrawny loser. Idy tries to reassure him by telling him he's a monster. And he's just (laughs) like... 
I don't think I like this place. Yeah, which is valid. Also, Kid Gladiator calls his uncle an idiot. Which is, no, 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 no. No, we don't say we don't that do about that. We don't do that here. We don't do that here. Well, it, would it be Phantom X or would it be Deadpool? It might be Uncle Deadpool. I have no idea. He ha- Evan has so many uncles. <laughs> Parents, parent figures. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. I mean, he he needs them. Yes, he needs as many as he possibly can have. And then Angel. And then there's Angel. Jesus. Angel. Got stabbed in the head real bad. Who thinks he's an angel who got stabbed in the head. He flies away from the school to try to resurrect someone's dead puppy. Right, because he has a watermelon seed of death inside him or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. death and life. He got stabbed in the head real bad, Reed. Yep. That's all you need to know. The concentrated totality or whatever. Yeah, the the focused totality of uh, Betsy Braddock's uh, mutant powers. Yep. 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 God, him, like, raising that puppy from the dead is, like, so rough. Yeah, it's mm, upsetting. Well, he's basically like, you're not my real dad to, who is it, I think Bobby, maybe? (laughs) God, also, it's it's got to be real hard to see, like, the guy you grew up with be this. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially if you are, like me, someone who reads a lot of uh, Angel was Bobby's first crush. Yeah, no, I was going to say that, so yeah. thank you. Yeah. Real rough. Yeah, rut row. Speaking of rough and rut row. Speaking of rough. Deathlock and... And the possible future bad time. Yeah, so Kitty's like, oh, yeah, I brought this guy. Um, He's for show, you know, he's going to be our expert that I brought to this class. And then immediately, I don't know why Kitty, again, Kitty's making a lot of bad decisions. She's trying very hard, but in the process, not really thinking through. Deathlux just starts rattling off probabilities of students dying or becoming X-Men leaders or burning the school to the ground in Quentin's case. (sighs) And this could be because I'm not super um, well-versed in Kitty's publication history, like, in the 90s and early 2000s. She never really, like, identified with children, and so, like, I... I also tend to read, like, her really shitty teaching skills as, like, Kitty does not know how to, like, teach children. Yeah. No, I feel like even when she was a teen, like, her she was friends with Storm. She was friends with computers. Like, she spent all her time doing, like, computer stuff and being friends with people that were, like, older than her. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think she ever had, other than, like, Ileana, which Ileana is, like, a whole nother story, too. Which is a whole other... Yeah. Like, she never had friends in her peer group outside of those two people who are both, like, people that, for one reason or another, like, grew up before their time or whatever. So, Kitty's ability to relate to a normal teenagehood maybe is very low. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so for Kitty, it's like, Kitty was always, like, immediately thrown to the wolves, and that was also intentional on her part, but so, like, I think she just doesn't quite know that for other children, it's not, you can't do that. Yeah, Yeah, she's extremely Steve Buscemi, hello fellow teens. Yeah. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. You're definitely not wrong. Oh, boy. So Deathlock rattles off all these probabilities, takes one look at Evan, and walks out the door also. Yeah. It just said, this concludes the lecture. And then Evan runs out, follows him, and asks some very pointed questions about what his future holds. At which point we get the flash forward. This, like, other future where I think we get our first glimpse that Quentin could possibly at any point, at some point, be the host of the Phoenix Force. Yeah. Rough times yeah. to be had. Also, a bad Quentin design. It's not great, but he does have a Phoenix costume. Also, how many cutouts does Idy need in her costume? Well, she's got a chest cutout, like 15 thigh cutouts. <laughs> these, these costume designs are just bad. I'm just going to say it. Yeah, they are. Um, But this future is bad, but it's not the worst future there is. That is true. You're right. You're right. It does. It, there are worse options, but it's pretty bad. Yeah. No, I'm just saying it's not the worst Quentin Fic Phoenix future. That one is visited in the second volume of Wolverine and the X-Men. But here, the bad future is because Evan has turned into Apocalypse. Yeah. And destroyed, basically destroyed the X-Men. Right. Yeah. Right. Rip, 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 rip. Press F to pay respects. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, it is the first glimpse we get of Quentin harboring the Phoenix, so that's definitely a thread that continues forward after yeah. this point. Like, it isn't subtle about the fact that that is the Phoenix on his uniform. It's the only good part of that uniform. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's weird because we get, like, Evan asking the question and then death like seeing this and then evan like continuing to ask questions yeah mm -hmm. so evan doesn't know Deathlock asks he doesn't he knows nothing of his true origin is that correct and logan goes you mean does he know that he was grown in a high-tech incubator from the dna of apocalypse one of the world's greatest supervillains? no i haven't mentioned it and i don't <laughs> plan to logan 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 i I think what's kind of interesting about Wolverine and the X-Men is that there's a lot of, like, X-tropes that appear in it, and I, I do think that it does some really clever things with it, because, like, for example, an X or just comic book trope is people knowing things and not talking about them, because why would you share that kind of information? And, like... And also, like, you think about it, the entire team is made of characters that could be monsters are are like super powerful and like everyone is afraid of like Idy is convinced that she's going to become a monster and has killed people and has this horrible power inside of her that she can't control quentin is a terrorist who's wanted by three quarters of the world's governments and everyone is convinced is going to destroy the world. Evan is a clone of Apocalypse. Brew is a brood who's like literally a monster. Kid Gladiator is a warrior whose immediate reaction to everything is to kill. And so Logan has has brought together all of these kids that the world assumes are just like to be discarded because trying to teach them how to be good is not worth doing. And Logan's like, nah, fuck that. Like if someone would have said that to me, I wouldn't be where I am right now. Yeah. So like, why wouldn't I give other people the the chance? Yeah, Logan's Island of Misfit Toys is like 
really heartwarming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's Angel, like... And fucking Angel, Jesus Christ. That's all I gotta say. That's all I can say about it. It's like, Jesus Christ. It's a bad time to be Angel. It's a bad time to be Angel, like, basically all the time. He's a student also. Yeah. Because he doesn't remember who he is, so he has to relearn everything. That's... Yeah. Woof. That noise is the best way to describe it, Charlie. Mm, yeah. 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 And like, this, there's this, just like a weird friendship between him and Evan. I love their friendship. Which is weird because, I mean, I know what it's trying to do. It's like turning it like the apocalypse, like angel situation on its head. Yeah. Which is smart. It's rough to be Warren Worthington yeah. the third. Speaking of rough, this issue ends with. <laughs> God, this issue ends with the roughest <laughs> point of this oh, whole boy. comic. Yeah, yeah, it sure does. And it's who wants to do the honors? Kitty's infected with a brood alien, so her belly's all pregnant. Yeah, all like goes from zero to pregnant in thirty seconds. This is somebody's weird thing, isn't it? Is, I mean, yeah. Oh God, that's it also is. like just the brood are that. I'm not I'm not saying nothing about nothing. Yes, you do you, but I didn't want to I didn't I didn't want to see this in a comic book. Yeah, that's that's just the thing that happens. I don't know how much more detail we the need to go. The last shot like, of this book is certainly a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. This is me making the like the emoji face with the grimacing teeth. Like that's <laughs> it. that's me. That's me right now. But let's let's not think about that right now. Yeah. We have Logan trying to make things work is one of the best. That's what really is the the through line of Wolverine and the X-Men. And it's really good because, like I said, like he really firmly believes that people deserve a place and to be given a chance because he was given a chance. And it's good. It's good. It's good. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. The train is good, too. I think that's it for our wrap-up, but I think, Mikey, did you have questions? Yeah, so I'll start with one that comes to us from one Casey Crook. Oh, boy. What food crime do you feel comfortable confessing to that you will not apologize for? I have an answer for this. I don't commit. I don't commit food crimes because if putting, like... Charlie's a very anti-food crime. Yeah, if putting maple syrup on your bacon or sausage to eat with your breakfast is a crime, then... Put me in jail. I don't no. care. Not a food crime. Yeah, I don't I, do any food crimes. I don't crimes. know if I commit any food crimes. So, one time, out of very desperation... I'm gonna want to, like, tear, tear my face and skin off after I hear this story, aren't I? I mixed chocolate soylent and peanut butter. <gasps> no! Because I really wanted, like, a pudding, Mikey, but I didn't no. have... Any ingredients for a pudding. So instead I made a depression version of pudding, which was just peanut butter and chocolate cellulant. Oh, this might be a food crime. I don't think it is because it's delicious. I will not apologize for but it. I, um, my, like, go-to depression food is, um, Tocito scoops, but then I put chocolate chips in the scoop bowl. That's not... And it's just... It's salty and sweet, and it's delicious. That's not a that's not a food crime. That's just yeah. That sounds amazing. I don't eat Swedish pizza. 
So I oh, don't yeah, commit food that's, crimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For anyone that uh that is not familiar with Swedish pizzas, just Google it. Yeah, just yeah. Google please. Swedish pizza. Like Yeah. Thank I'm sorry. It's incredible. Yeah. It's so weird. And if you're listening and you're Swedish, like, have you are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah, we just want to make sure. Are you okay? We just want to make sure you're okay. Blink twice if you're being forced to commit pizza crimes. (laughs) Um, We also got some questions from Lynn, who has a couple questions, and we can maybe pick one of these or answer all of them, depending on how much time we have. When it comes to young X teams, do you prefer the approach of them being an incubator team for new characters to move to the rest of the line? Or having a more stable cast of characters to tell longer-term stories with. From what I've seen in Wolverine and the X-Men, there were some breakouts, but a lot of characters who got more left behind to languish in background shots. I mean... I think the problem is, is that both are true at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Assuming that this question is proposing a perfect and like just world where... Every time new youth characters get introduced, that means that the previous round of youth characters were actually incorporated into the line. I would much rather get, like, a host of new characters each go-round, but that's not... How it works. Marvel doesn't love us and doesn't love Surge. Um, So that's not what happens. I miss Surge. I've said this before, not on this podcast, but I've said it, like, in other places, where I really wish that there was, like, a a book that was like a college-ish age team of X characters where it's like the youth Mm -hmm, characters. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think the way that I would want that story to be told is I would want it to be a lot more similar to sort of how X Factor Investigations was set up where it's very grounded in like mutant town and like, for lack of better phrasing, the street communities of mutants than, like, it being, like, a superhero-y book. Just because I think that it would be interesting. Yeah, I would love, like, Giant Days, but X-Men. Yeah. That would be perfect kind of, like, thing, actually. And that's one thing, like, I recently re- caught up to West Coast Adventures, um, the most recent run by Kelly Thompson, and that's one thing I actually really liked about that, is that they were allowed to be, like, young adults, early 20s. I would definitely like to see more of that. Yeah, unfortunately, the more times we get new characters, the more they get left in the dust, and we don't we don't push them all forward. We lose some of them. So, like, yeah, I really liked Bend. I, I really liked all the Bendis X Men kids. Me too. I love the Bendis X Men kids. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah, but like we see gold balls every once in a while. Like Tempest is is we saw Tempest like at the end of Uncanny X Men disassembled. So she's in the age of X-Men somewhere. The last time I saw Hijack, which I actually really like David, he was, like, in a background shot of Generation X. No, I think Hijack was in Iceman. Oh, was he? I, Cena's first Iceman, if I recall, Hijack, like, ran away from school and was, like, with Dokken. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. I could be wrong, but, I like, because I'm basing... Hmm. I don't think that's David. I don't think that's David for some reason. If it's um, not, it's- then their powers are, like, really, really similar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, yeah. Wouldn't I, be surprised. I honestly think the ideal is a mix. Like, to have... Like, I like what Generation X did, which is bring some new characters in. 
and keep some old characters. Yeah, I agree. I love I love Trevor. Like I love Trevor and I love Nature Girl and I love um Bling and Mercury and I love all the Bendis kids. Like like I don't know. I know there's so many X-Men characters, but I wish somehow they could all get spotlighted once in a while. I mean, the way to do it would be to retire the older ones. Yes. Yeah. So that brings up the follow-up question from Lynn. Is there a character in this Wolverine and the X-Men run or young X-Books in general who you'd like to see get their time in the sun more? I think a lot of people from this run did. Get their time in the sun, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's because this run was so long yeah. that, like, it really does feel like they got their time in the sun. I think to, like, attempt to answer that question, I really want to see the core characters from this book, like, graduate onto the actual team of X-Men. Yeah. And get their time in the sun as X-Men. Yeah, give Quentin an important job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, like, Quentin would be fascinating to have seen in Age of X-Men because Quentin is so genre-savvy. Like, it yeah, would have been yeah. really interesting to see, like, a character that is genre-savvy, like, become aware that they're in what is essentially, like, a suburban horror film. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, though, I can see why that might have made the pacing of things Oh, yeah, difficult. it wouldn't have worked. I just would have loved to see it. <laughs> yeah. But Nature Girl is awesome in Age of X-Men. Yeah. I think my answer to the question is actually gold balls. Like, I would love to see more of gold balls. Yes. And um, seeing him drawn as a fat character, because he fucking is. Yeah. I know Bendis had him in his mouths like Spider-Man after his X-Men run ended. Like, I know that he lived there for a while. Yeah. He's been in and around things, but I would like to see him brought to the forefront. Because his attitude... Like, he's not just the comic relief or anything, but he's the, he's the, like, straight man, I guess? Like, everyone else is, like, has all these wild powers, and then he's the one that's like, hey, can we just, like, chill for a second and talk about how ridiculous this situation is and, like, think about this, maybe? But he also makes gold balls. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, so. I, I, I would love I, to see him as, like, a, a teacher in a school book. Yes. I think. Yes, 100%. Or, like, honestly, I could see him, you know, in a perfect world. Like, he's, like, the guidance counselor. Yes, that would be perfect. Uh, yeah, I miss the Bendis kids. Like, I miss I miss Eva. She was such a, like, she was made into such, like, a powerhouse. She threatened Scott. She threatened Charles Xavier. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> She's good. All those characters, like, were older than the standard X-Kids? Very much so. They were all in college. Yeah, I would love to see them be, like, staff or TAs. So I guess, like, unintentionally, we also answered Lynn's, like, just-for-fun question, which is if you could pull different characters from different eras together to make your own young team, what characters' dynamics would you like to see? And I think our answer is make some of the other characters that have already existed into teachers. Yeah, and do, like, an office drama of, like their teachers at the Xavier school, which is, or the Jean Grey school or whatever. Like, that's a weird job to have to have. Yeah, sure is. Yeah. As much as I love the kids, I would like to see it from the other side as well. Yeah, I agree. These were great questions. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for asking those questions. Um, my answer to every question is always more characters that kind of get lost in the background. Yeah. 
Maybe maybe by us talking about it, because apparently us talking about things or putting them in oh, our sweet baby Jesus. games means things get brought into comics. Yeah. So maybe by us talking about it, someone will pitch it to Marvel. You know what? You know, I'm just saying, I, as someone with experience in academia, I would be very qualified to write a book about <laughs> youngish mutants trying to work in a school. Yeah, Marvel. If if you would like read to write, uh, bring up, bring it, youngish, uh, youngish X, <laughs> youngish X Men, the new book. Uh, email us at youngonescast at gmail dot com. <laughs> we can give you Reed's personal deets. Yeah, but thanks for the questions. You know what? I'm actually gonna just do one thing before we end. If anyone is like interested in a comic about youngish people who are just like have some superpowers and are just trying to figure out their lives. Um, the second trade of Moonstruck is about to come out and Moonstruck is incredibly good and should be read. It's basically fantasy coffee shop AU. Oh my God. Good, that yes. sounds really good. Yeah. It's really, it's really, really good. So please read Moonstruck. Good. Yes. Which I think brings us to the end of our program. <laughs> yeah. I think we did it. We made it. <laughs> we did it. Yeah. We yeah. got here. Even if it took me 45 minutes to get on the bus. <laughs> the bus. The bus situation, yes. To get, or to get out of the bus zone, let's say. The ghost zone. Okay. If you like our podcast and would love to do a big old favor for the three of us, you could go right over to iTunes and give us some nice old ratings. There's star buttons over there and maybe write a nice review. Just, or just let somebody tell know us about you, the food crimes that you commit. Yeah, and if you like this and have people that you think might like it, tell a friend. It doesn't take much; it costs you no money. All of those things cost you no money. They should be easy things to do. So, if you would please. Otherwise, you can find us at Young Ones Cast on Twitter. If you got questions, if you just want to say hey, you like stuff, you can go over there and do it. Questions, concerns, uh, food crimes. Um, you can email them to youngonescast at gmail.com. Don't really email me your food crime because that stuff makes my skin crawl. But I'm sure the others would like to read that or do something with it. Just put a warning in the subject line of your email about your food crimes. Yeah, just let me, just let me know what I'm getting myself yeah. into. Warning, food crimes ahead. <laughs> you can find me personally at genetic ghost on twitter where i talk about a lot of stuff coming up i will be doing a rundown of all of the current age of x-man books after the last one is released um and talk about which one is my favorite with a friend of mine dan Grote, over on wqma comics it's good stuff other than that you know what you're getting into if you look at my twitter it's 90s commercials that i've been watching and sh thoughts about how I feel about a certain boy who stabs things. That's it. Done. How about everybody else? Thanks for listening, I guess. And uh, you can find <laughs> me on Twitter at ARMustDie. No one consulted Bruce Springsteen, but you can send me your food crimes because I'm fascinated with them. Most of yeah. these, I don't think I commit some. But, you know, if you listen to this podcast and made it all the way to the end and think that I commit a food crime, you could also let me know. Yeah, I guess. Um, also, Reed and I and uh, oh Reed's yeah, wife, we do Samantha. We do a a weekly comics newsletter. 
We do. It's called uh, The Poll, and you can find us at It's The Poll on Twitter. And I think the link to subscribe is uh, substack.com slash the poll. You got it. Heck yeah. Mikey, what do you do and where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at quantum dot dot. By the time this episode is up, there will be a Kickstarter up for the first role playing game that I got paid to do work on, Yay! which is Cut to the Chase. It is a two player RPG where one player is the pursuer and one person is the person being pursued. And I did a scenario for the game called In Silico, which is inspired by things like Alien and System Shock, AI, and stuff like that. So if that sounds interesting to you, there are so many cool scenarios that people wrote. Like one person is like a microbiologist and wrote a scenario about a biology colony and medicine, like trying to fight. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it's so like people took this concept and like just ran with it. Wow. There's so many different cool scenarios, like quick start scenarios that people wrote. The original designer of the game, Jonathan Grosh, is um, trying to get money for art and stuff like that. I'll definitely be posting about that on my Twitter. Really excited about that. Um, really proud of the work that everyone put in. And I've been doing logo work. You can go on my website, quantum.space. Contact Mikey. Just put out the Mikey sign. Yeah. Mikey's, <laughs> yeah. Send a bus. Send a bus. Um, a good bus, not a bad one. Um, but yeah, no, hire Don't. Mikey to do your stuff. He's extremely qualified and does uh, Photoshop magic. I am a professional graphic designer, yes. one might say. Yes, yes, you are. And game designer now. I've been paid for both of those things. It's so exciting. Design is Mikey's passion. Passion. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Indeed. Um, I guess we gotta figure something out, guys. Don't glitter your cat. Yeah, Don't glitter your next cat. Time. Don't glitter your cat. Or, or maybe our sign-off should be, we did not we, Bruce Springsteen Bruce was not Springsteen consulted. Bruce Springsteen was not consulted in the creation of this, this podcast. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Bye, Yeah, it's good. It's good though. I like how Wolverine oscillates. It's very good. Also, <laughs> um, he does have blades, so he technically could be a fan. Uh-huh.